Be encouraged to reach out with what God has given you, whether you have little or much. Next on The Balanced Word. Wake up my soul. Wake up early in the day. Wake up my hand. And the instrument I play. Wake up my voice. Let the world hear me say. You are worshipped and it's all to hear today. Is it possible for a church to be blessed too much? In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul encourages the church in Corinth to rejoice in their blessings, but not to allow themselves to become complacent in their excitement for the Lord and His Word. Does this describe you or someone you know? We'll talk about it today on The Balanced Word with Pastor Dave Rolf. Follow along as we get today's message in 1 Corinthians 16 underway. It's been a great trip through this book of 1 Corinthians, and this book Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and they had a sort of unique set of problems in Corinth. From all outward appearances, they had it made. They were a prosperous, wealthy church. They were endowed with many gifts. They had great gifted people who were there, surrounded by some awesome teachers. And in every way, they had what you'd think a church would need to have to be a success. And yet, they were plagued with something that we often don't think of as a plague. They were plagued with prosperity. See, a church that's going through persecution and hard times will often be the healthier kind of a church. Because tough times will tend to purify you. It, it clears out the rabble. It causes people to cause uh, just to focus on what matters. It kind of gets rid of the people who aren't really into it. And so often the healthiest churches are the ones who are going through difficult times. The churches who sometimes have the greatest problems, as in Corinth, are those churches where the people are really wealthy and blessed and talented and gifted, and they have all the programs and all the processes and all the facilities and everything, and yet beneath the surface of that often lies a series of problems, and that was the case in Corinth. Their pride, their self-centeredness, their competition among who had the better pastor. They were victims of their own success in a way. Communion had become a big party to celebrate who had what. And the gifts became things that were all about me and how glorious I am, an opportunity for people who were gifted by God to perform, to have a, an audience and a stage. Paul addresses so many of these issues with them. And as we've gone through the book, we saw him as he built up to that section on spiritual gifts where he explains that we need each other, we need to fit together. And then as we've gone the last several weeks through the 15th chapter, he, he focused on the resurrection. And the reason he did that is because it's a it's the biggest part of the gospel, the good news. The fact that we get out of here. The fact that what's going on down here isn't going to last. It'll one day be planted and deteriorate and result in an eternity with God. And a, a call from Paul really to stop focusing on things that don't last. But understand that there are things that we can do down here that will matter for eternity. And that should be the, the cry of our heart, really, to have eternal significance, not to be so focused on what we have down here. 
And so now as we come to chapter 16, he's sort of wrapping up his letter to them. Most of the serious doctrinal stuff is now out of the way. He's laid a great foundation. But here in chapter 16, in kind of his closing comments, as we will see today and, and next Sunday as we finish the book, he, he calls them to look outside themselves. It's really an appeal to outreach. He wants them to understand the church is not just your group of people there in Corinth. Yes, I'm impressed with you at all you have, but the church is bigger than just you and your friends. The church is bigger than just those immediately around you. And he calls them here in the 16th chapter to look beyond themselves and to understand that the body of Christ is, is, is large. Now, he begins to address a request for funds for the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was, in contrast with the church in Corinth, they were really poor and really hard up. There were several reasons why they were poor. Remember, on the day of Pentecost, all these people came to the Lord. 3,000 people were converted in one day from all different countries. They had been in Jerusalem, most of them on business, but now here they heard the gospel. And many of them stayed, but they didn't have jobs. They didn't even speak the language. And so it was tough for them, and that partly led to some of the poverty there in Jerusalem. But also as you read through the book of Acts, you see that the church in Jerusalem got all excited about being one in Christ, and, and so they began to experiment with communism. They decided, hey, let's just pool all of our resources, and then we'll just all share with everyone and, and have everything in common. Well, that experiment in communism didn't work very well, as it never has ever in the history of the world. In their case, right away, you had a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who claimed they were giving all the money from selling land, but actually they were holding some of it back. And as a result, they were slain in the spirit right there. They were both killed because of lying to the Holy Spirit. That was a rough start to their little communal sort of way of living. But what happens when you try to do communism God hasn't set us up to work that way and to live that way, really. It's a wonderful ideal. It's a real warm and cozy idea. But the truth is, if everyone pools all of our resources, it ends up being disastrous for everyone as it was for them. Because people who are gifted in business, for instance, well, now their resources are gone. They can no longer provide employment for other people. They can no longer invest in a way that's productive. And, and so everyone just puts all their stuff together. Now you're not using the gifts that God has given you. You're not feeling that fulfillment and even that drive and that competitiveness within us that drives us to continue to, to work hard. And a lot of the incentive is taken away. And so basically the church in Jerusalem, and then to add to that, besides the fact that they had an influx of new believers who were 
you know, undocumented workers, if you will. And on top of that, this little hippie experiment. And, and then also persecution was beginning to happen there in Jerusalem as, as the, uh, first of all, even before the Romans started persecuting them, the Jews were persecuting the Christians and blaming them for problems and were hard on them. And so as a result, this was a church that was really poor. And so Paul, in going around to the various churches, he never lectured the people in, in Jerusalem, you know, and told them, you know, this is your fault. You brought this on yourself. Now live with it. He doesn't deal with the issues as to how they got there, but he only encourages the rest of the church to reach out and to help them, to take up a collection and to make a contribution to those Christians who were there in Jerusalem. And so here we see and. Later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the entire chapter is kind of devoted to this. The Corinthians apparently didn't respond quite like they should have. But he says now, verse 1, concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the church of Galatia, I told the churches in Galatia, so also you must do. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it's fitting that I go also, they will go with me. So Paul says, I talked to you about wanting to help out this church in Jerusalem. Now, here's what you need to do. Each of you needs to just start putting something aside as God has prospered you, as you've been blessed. And then on Sunday when you come to church, and by the way, this is one of the indications that they would assemble on Sunday instead of on the Sabbath. The church, early church met on, chose to meet on Sunday because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so he said, begin to save up what you have. And then when you come together then lay that aside. Kind of like when you get to the end of your week, if there's money that's left over, put some of it aside so that you can put it together as a church. And then when you are able to send it to Jerusalem, you can do it. He said, I don't want a collection taken when I come. I don't want to get up in front of you and beg you to give, give a big emotional appeal and everything, and then you've got to give till it hurts. I want this just to become a way of life for you. Now, for them, they no doubt were contributing to the church. They were used to, you know, growing up in, in their society. They understood probably a concept of tithing, whereby even as throughout the Old Testament, 10% of your income was just given to the Lord's work. And so they were probably most of them doing that and feeling like, okay, there, I did my 10% and I'm done. Now, the New Testament never commands anything about a 10%, but you have to understand the Old Testament to see what he's talking about here. In the Old Testament, you had to give 10%. That was like a tax. But then if you wanted to give your offerings, that was something that you would give over and above that. And that would go for the poor. That would go for special other projects and things like that. Now, in the New Testament, never commanded. But the idea is don't just stop your giving with your regular giving. Start thinking about laying something aside. And 
how should you do that? He said, as you've prospered. Now, really the idea is, okay, at the end of the week, what do you have left over? Well, put some of it aside. Throw it in a little slush fund to be used to express love to people who are without or who don't have much. In this case, reaching out to a church that's across the Mediterranean Sea from you. Now, many of us would say, well, fortunately, I'm off the hook there because I haven't prospered. At the end of the week, it's all gone. <laughs> so, yeah, God, you can have whatever I have at the end of the week, but paid my bills and there's nothing left. And yet, which one of us could say that God hasn't prospered us? It'd be kind of embarrassing the way we live and the things that God has done for us if we ever, any of us, acted like, well, there's just nothing extra. If, if you're buying four or $5 cups of coffee, come on, there's something extra. You could skip that cup of coffee or go ahead and have that new one at McDonald's that's cheaper. You know, <laughs> you go eat at Claim Jumper. At the end of the meal, you're totally stuffed. I've never eaten at Claim Jumper whenever I felt like, you know, it was good, but I just didn't have enough. <laughs> you eat it and you're just stuffed until you're sick. And then they bring out that eight-layer mother load and it's like, I think I can cram it in there. Let's do <laughs> Isn't that the way we live our lives? Just seeing how much we can cram in and then we go, yeah, too bad I don't have anything extra. <laughs> you know, if I have something extra, maybe if I have a dog, I'll take it home to him. But, you know, here he's going, you know, God has prospered you. And we all, if we look in the mirror, we, we have to realize, boy, God's been really good to us. He's been so generous to us. We in this country, we in this county certainly, have so much more than almost all of the rest of the world. And what Paul's suggesting is, can you stick a little of that away? Now, he's not at all saying, you need to live on the bare minimum and then don't have anything else to... No, that's not... God makes it clear in his word that he blesses us for our enjoyment because he loves us and wants to be generous to us. And so there in 1 Timothy, when Paul says, talk to the wealthy people and tell them, hey, enjoy what they have, but remind them also to share. Remind them also, you know, to not set their eyes on their wealth and to focus on it. And really, that's consistent with what he's telling these wealthy Corinthians. He's just saying, look, you abound. You know, you are prosperous. Now, how about every week putting a little something aside? Why? So that you can express in a tangible way to the children of God who are in other parts of the world, that you realize that the body of Christ isn't just our little group here, that the body of Christ extends to God's people all over the world. It's not that they could just support the Jerusalem church. Certainly, you know, that's not what he's saying. But a tangible gift, a, an offering, an extension of concern that just says, hey, I'm thinking of you. And in this case, as he says, you know, pick somebody to actually go. You approve the people and they can go and maybe they can go with me to Jerusalem and hand over this gift to the people there in Jerusalem. Now you'd think, wait a minute. 
Why did they need, and there are people who look at this and say, oh, Paul was so above reproach that he didn't want to handle the money himself, and so they had this check and balance system and everything, and hey, that may have been part of it, but I think more than that, he wanted the Christians there in Corinth who were so prosperous to understand that this is an outreach this is an opportunity for you to connect with brothers and sisters who you haven't met. And it will mean something if, if one of your people will go personally and deliver the gift and will do this. Because it says so much more than just writing a check or than just, you know, I'll just PayPal it to them and they'll get it and it'll be fine. It's like, no, why don't you pick somebody to represent you and actually go and do this? Now, we here in the United States so often lose perspective on what's going on around the world. And we understand, if we look into it a little bit, that there are people in other parts of the world who are suffering for their faith. Many of them who are getting by on almost nothing, starving. And, and here, you know, the gospel is going out and they love God and they even have no idea of how we live. And I think Paul here is exhorting us, put a little something aside and think about maybe even going yourself to go and say this. Now, I used to never bother going on like missions trips myself because I felt like, and what can I do over there? I don't speak the language. I'd, what difference am I going to, to make? And, and, and so, so I'll give, but let's just ship the money over there. And I used to be really down on short-term missions trips because I would think we're spending so much money sending our people over there. And I would think we'd be better off just sending the money over there. But here I see this, you know, Paul going, no, get somebody from your group to go personally. Because I think that a human presence even means more. Not only that, when that person from Corinth would go over and see the need, they come back and report on it and it inspires everyone else to, to get involved as well. And so I, I think this is really important. I try to get out at least once a year on a missions trip. I don't like to be away from church. I don't really like to be away from home. I really am not, you know, real, really appreciative of new and exotic menus, those kinds of things. But I understand that for me to to put myself out of a comfort zone a little bit and to go and do it, when people see that someone from over here loves them enough to go over there, it just means something that you can't quantify in terms of dollars and cents. And where does the money come from? Well, come on, we... We're so prosperous. God has given us such an abundance. And, and I think that the idea here is sometimes, hey, when you go to Claim Jumper and they bring out that, that eight-layer devil's cake or whatever, how about just going, boy, I could do that and just stick it on my credit card and I wouldn't think of it. But how about I'll just take that $6 or whatever it is and in my head right now that's going in the slush fund. And now... If that's something that really would ruin your dinner, you could, you could do what I do. When I go there, I'll just go ahead and pass up on the salad, and I'll put the money for the and then I'll eat the cake. But, no, not really. But 
throwing a little something aside, how about when, you know, when you're going out to lunch and just think, you know, I'll get something a little cheaper and that's going to save me three bucks and now that three dollars is going into a fund. Just to put it aside so it's there, so that it's not like, oh, I found out about a need, now where am I going to get the money? I'll go into debt to do it. No, just get in the habit every week of sticking it aside and making it available. And it's really an enjoyable thing when you do it. One of the things that I do, when I do weddings and when I speak places and stuff like that and people give me money for it, I always just toss it aside into a drawer and that's my like slush fund to do things for the Lord when a need comes up or an opportunity it's it's a good feeling to have that already there and I don't miss the money I could spend it on something else but you don't miss it if you don't think about it just stick it aside and you know I know when we go on missions trips, often the missions board will allocate like an extra $500. And whenever we go on the trip, we take $500. And the idea is let's find something cool to do with this $500. And uh, there are other times when I remember one time we were in Thailand and, and a girl in our church had saved up her money and she had a little over $100 and she said, can you go do something for the orphans in Thailand with this money? And so we're like, yeah, so we have all this change and everything, and we took it over. And with that money, we took all the kids from the orphanage in Chiang Rai, and we took them, we thought we'd take them out for ice cream. Well, we took them, got them on a boat, they went down a river, they went on elephant rides, most of them had never ridden an elephant. We did that, then bought them ice cream, all on like $106 or something like that. And what that says to those kids, they know that there's a church over here and there's somebody over here that's thinking of them and saying, hey, I want you to have a fun day. I want you to be blessed in this way. And when we take money somewhere, it's like burning a hole in our pocket. We're like, oh man, what am I going to do with it? It's the, it's the greatest feeling that you get since you were a kid and you got money and you were like, oh, what am I going to do with this? I remember I had an uncle, he was actually my mom's uncle, and we thought he was really rich because every time there was a family get-together, he'd pull out a wad of $1 bills and give everyone a dollar. And, you know, nowadays with kids in our society, if you start pulling out $1 bills, they're like, what's this? You know, what am I, I going to do with that? But, you know, there are places in the world where somebody could eat for a week on less than a dollar. And it's our opportunity to do that. And, I, and, and what Paul is saying, and it's not just for the Jerusalem church, because the truth is, the way those people handled their money, after it's gone, they're probably still trying to be hippies and, and still not getting their act together. As much as anything, it's for the Corinthians themselves to realize that it's a good feeling to let go of some of what I, I could have spent it and I wouldn't have even thought about it. But instead, what I have, I stuck it aside and it could say, God loves you to someone who, you know, isn't going to hear that otherwise. You're listening to Pastor Dave Rolf on The Balanced Word and part of a study in 1 Corinthians. Hear it again online at thebalancedword.com or give us a call and request a CD at 949-362-7475. That's 949-362-7475. Pastor Dave has taught through the entire Bible, and we put it onto a USB for you. It's our featured resource right now, available for a donation of $30 or more. Request it right now at thebalancedword.com, 
or call 949-362-7475. It takes a team to bring these shows to the radio every day, and your financial and prayerful support is really an investment, helping to reach thousands with the truth of God's Word. Thank you for standing with us with either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support. Again, go to thebalancedword.com. Dave Rolfe is the pastor of Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel and loves to meet and greet his radio listeners. Visit us on a Sunday morning at 8, 945, or 1130. Those outside the area can live stream at ccpacifichills.org. Would you like someone to pray for you? Send that prayer request over to us at thebalancedword.com by clicking on Contact or call 949-362-7475. Pastor Dave shares helpful and encouraging one-minute messages on Facebook and Instagram. Check it out at CC Pacific Hills. Here's what's coming up next time. We all can't go, but we can all send. We can all encourage others to go. We can say, hey, here's an opportunity. Go and represent us and do this. And so look outside yourselves. And if a kid has an opportunity to do that, it can change their life too. You know, you go, oh, a bunch of kids going to Europe. Big deal. You know, it's like a vacation. Can they do something over there that someone over there can't do? Who knows? But I know this, that there are some kids who are going to be amazed that a kid from the United States took time off of their summer vacation to just come over and talk to them about Jesus. And I know that our pastor who's over there and his family and other missionaries will just go, it was so nice to have some kids from Orange County to come over and to do this. More about reaching out, going out, and sending out on the next Balanced Word with Dave Roth a presentation of Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel in Aliso Viejo. Wake up my soul, wake up early in the day, wake up my hands, and the instrument I play, wake up my